Hey, everybody. Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law. I'm your host, Jessica Levinson, and we are, of course, recording this episode on the biggest holiday in December. I don't think I need to tell you. It is Safe Harbor Day. Here to discuss all things Safe Harbor Day and much more, the show's co-host, Joe Armstrong. Welcome, Joe. And what are you wearing for Safe Harbor Day? Oh, Jessica, I'm wearing my usual traditional Safe Harbor Day outfit. It looks kind of like a leprechaun, more red, white, and blue, but there's some feathers in a headdress. It's a whole elaborate thing. I have to ask you, Jessica, do you have, I kid, I kid, do you have your Safe Harbor Day tree up and decorated? You went so much further with that description than I thought you were going to. I actually, Joseph have my traditional Safe Harbor Day banners up. As you know, Safe Harbor Day is not just a tree holiday. It is because it is a federal holiday, a federal holiday passed in the wake of the 1876 election, when a few Southern states tried to send more than one slate of electors to the Electoral College. It is a traditional day when you put banners up in your house and you say, proud to be an American, and then you listen to an episode of Passing Judgment. Very, very well. Yes, I think that's also true because normally, Jessica, I attend several Safe Harbor Day parties, but, you know, we can't this year because of the pandemic. I'm almost finished, you know, writing out all my Safe Harbor Day cards, so look for yours in your mailbox soon. But we've talked about what it is. Does this mean that we're out of the woods in terms of all this post-election litigation, or is this just another step towards the inevitable? We're in the perimeter of the woods now, or I should say, I think we've actually been out of the woods for a while now in the sense that Joe Biden is the president-elect. He is going to be the president. Now, the coffin is there. The nails are in the coffin, but it's not in the ground to really take this analogy to its logical conclusion. So what is Safe Harbor Day? It's a deadline in federal law. This federal law was passed in the wake of the 1876 election, where a number of southern states said, you know what, we'll just send a couple of different slates of electors to the Electoral College. You sorted out Congress. And of course, we realized that we need to have some rules in place. So what this means is that states that certify their results by today, December 8th, are essentially insulated or protected from any challenge. And Congress, under federal law, has to accept their results. Now, people will notice I use the word essentially because in this topsy-turvy 2020 election, the Trump legal team and his allies will continue to fight, but it is an enormous uphill fight to try and undo results after states have certified before the safe harbor deadline. But there are still challenges taking place. I know that there's something happening in Texas. Jessica, what's the latest there? So there is something happening in Texas. I don't know what the word is. If you try and shoot up a Hail Mary pass, do we say shoot up or do we just say send? You would say throw generally. Okay, thank you. So let's say I throw you a Hail Mary pass, then you throw it back to me, and I throw it to you one more time. That's what Texas is doing right now in terms of how likely they are to succeed. So the state of Texas, just today, Safe Harbor Day, is celebrating the holiday by going directly to the Supreme Court, no lower courts, asking the Supreme Court to use its original jurisdiction to throw out not Texas's results, because Texas went for Trump, 
but the results in four other states, wait for it, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. The lawsuit says, among other things, that the voting procedures in place that expanded vote by mail in the middle of the pandemic are not legal. The lawsuit also asked the Supreme Court to delay the December 14th deadline for the Electoral College to vote. That deadline was set in an 1887 law that we've been talking about. It's hard for me to explain to people what a misuse of the legal system this is. And we are at the point now when it comes to the Trump legal team and allies of the Trump legal team that it's not inappropriate to talk about potentially sanctioning them. These are such frivolous lawsuits. And my only worry is not what's going to happen this time, but what's going to happen next time when the person's just a little better about this post-election litigation. Right. Some of these things have happened before. History does have a way of repeating itself. Trump is not the first guy to invent this kind of chicanery. Texas certainly not either. Texas likes to think that they're their own state, but I'm sure these other states don't appreciate Texas meddling in their business. I do know that there are holdouts who are expecting states like Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and others to be overturned for Donald Trump. But here we've arrived at Safe Harbor Day. Now, does you know this incremental change, you know, we're looking forward in just about a week's time to the 14th, which is also that I would say that Safe Harbor Day is the second biggest holiday in December because the day that the Electoral <laughs> College votes would probably be the first one. So do either of these dates, they do anything to take the wind out of the sails of these people? Or is this just something that's being fought in the court of public opinion? Both. Can I say option C? So yes, these deadlines, I mean, the more that we have these deadlines, they pass, that states certify their results, the more it becomes clear that reality does in fact exist and that President-elect Biden will become President Biden. But the Trump legal team is still fighting on, and we can talk about why. It might be because it's good fundraising. It might be because it's good PR. But there really is no chance to overturn these results in courts or with hardball political tactics. And Joe, you and I talked about the kind of election law nightmare scenarios. I think we did two and a half episodes on that. And the reason that I'm so confident is because the judiciary has really held. And I think listeners have heard me talk a little bit about that before, but judges have done their job. And that's going to sound like a partisan statement, and it's not. Judges who are state court judges, federal judges, judges appointed by Republican presidents, by Democratic presidents, Republican governors, Democratic governors, judges who ran for election— they have spoken with an almost unanimous voice in dismissing and rejecting these Trump lawsuits. And that was not a done deal. We had a serious discussion about whether President Trump essentially packing the federal judiciary, appointing, I think, almost 25 percent of the federal judiciary, that meant if a post-election case came to a Trump appointee, would they rule in favor of President Trump? And the answer over and over again is no. I'll shamelessly plug a piece I have coming out on NBC News where I detail some of these cases. But the punchline here is that the judiciary has held. Right. We're looking at a record of about 49 to 1, and even that 1 didn't move the needle appreciably, correct? 
That's right. So when you are winning 2% of your post-election litigation cases, and that 2% is a fairly insignificant one, it is time to go home. It is time to go back to Mar-a-Lago. Are they just trying to keep lawyers employed? Is that what this is? Do I leave the lawyers on the breadline? You know, the funny thing is the lawyers have really abandoned President Trump. So President Trump had some heavy-hitting legal team players, and they just have essentially abandoned him. And he now just has Rudy Giuliani, who's been sidelined because of COVID. And you don't see like a big marquee law firm. You don't see a big law firm behind him anymore because they just don't want to file these suits. I feel like Trump without lawyers, there's a joke in here somewhere, Jessica, that Trump without lawyers would be merely uh, a beauty school model for older eccentric rich guys with crazy hair. I think that's our first beauty school mention here on Passing Judgment. And I want to thank you for that. And of course, it happens on Safe Harbor Day, the day when we would mention beauty school. But yes, the punchline again here is everybody. President Trump lost the election. He's not going to be able to win the election in the courts. He's not going to be able to use hardball political tactics to win this election. And today is another important deadline that will pass, and it will pass as it always has, where states will certify, and that certification will be protected under federal law. And again, this was not a done deal, but I'm I'm very happy about the way this turned out. You know, the interesting thing for me about the post-election litigation is that there weren't any big legal issues. You know, people have said, oh, you teach election law, are you going to talk about the post-election litigation? And the answer is really is no, because there's nothing you would put in an election law book. This is more about professional responsibility or ethical lawyering, where you would say, don't file these types of suits. But there isn't a big case about, you know, will we do this in the future when it comes to election law? There's a nagging issue out of Pennsylvania, and we'll probably devote a different episode to that. But So far, it's been much ado about winning 2% of the time. Right, Jessica. One of my favorite phrases that I've gleaned from you over the years is that there is no there there. We've been talking about this for a very long time. I'm glad to hopefully put it to bed soon. The Trump administration and their cadres of lawyers have been throwing all kinds of things against the wall to see what sticks. And so far, nothing's sticking. They're not getting anywhere with this. So I'm glad to see that our election is proceeding as it normally should. There was no violence. Again, we talked about the possibility of that when we were talking about our election nightmare scenarios. So far, so good. Fingers crossed, everybody. We are 40-some days away from Inauguration Day, January 20th of 2021. But speaking of the judiciary holding, Jessica, something happened with DACA. What's going on there? Yeah, so what happened is that DACA is now back to full steam. So this is, I think, the last chapter in the story of the Trump administration versus DACA. DACA, of course, is a 2012 program that President Obama created by executive order. It protects certain people who arrived in this country illegally when they came as children. There are a number of different eligibility requirements, which kind of boil down to the idea that you've not been a bad actor during the time that you've been living in the United States. And it protects this class of people called DREAMers from deportation. It also allows them to get work permits, health insurance, 
And DACA is a really important program to millions of people. And what happened last summer is that the Supreme Court ruled, and you and I talked about this, that the way the Trump administration tried to end DACA was not valid. So they said under a federal law called the Administrative Procedures Act that the Trump administration was basically so sloppy about trying to end this program that they couldn't end it that way. Not that a president could never end another president's program, but that they just didn't go about it in the right fashion. So as a result of the Supreme Court's decision, DACA lives to fight another day. Then the acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, basically tries to cut off a big portion of the power of DACA, says we won't accept any new applicants, says that instead of being able to have this protection for two years at a time before you have to apply for a renewal, that you'll have protection for one year. A federal judge then says, you know what, Chad Wolf, you didn't have the power to issue that directive. And then more recently, just a few days ago, a federal judge says, DACA is up and running and Department of Homeland Security, you have to let people know. You have to let people know that about 300,000 people who are eligible to be new applicants can in fact apply. And you have to let people know that we're back to the two-year cycle of protection where you, again, can be a dreamer for two years, get the protections of DACA, and then uh, you apply again for essentially a renewal. And it's very good news for people who rely on the protections of DACA. All of this brings up the important point, Joe, that we have to have a legislative solution. And legislation would be on stronger legal footing than an executive order. Dreamers have bipartisan popularity. And this has just gone on too long. And President Biden needs to tackle this issue. And it might be, frankly, an opportunity for Republicans to uh, demonstrate or claim that they want to work together in a bipartisan way. And um, so that's a very long way of explaining what happened legally in DACA and politically, I think, what should happen, which is there should be legislation. So the dreamers can sleep a little bit better tonight and thankful for that. Now, we've got a local boy does good story here for passing judgment and our listeners. Uh, Javier Becerra is headed to the Department of Health and Human Services of the Biden administration. Now, from his position as the California Attorney General, Becerra has been fighting Donald Trump's policies for years. Now, the Trump administration along the way tried to kill the Affordable Air Act, excuse me, Affordable Care Act, curtail health care access to undocumented immigrants, restrict access to abortion and a bunch of other things. So, you know, this is someone who has battling, been battling Trump for a while. So it'd be interesting to see him in that type of position at the federal level. Takes him out of play here from the attorney general here in California, creating a vacancy for uh, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom to appoint. Now, if Becerra is confirmed, this appointment would give Becerra very broad powers to revamp those Trump policies. Now, some might say that uh, Becerra lacks experience in the arena of public health, and that's true. But former California senator and recent passing judgment guest Barbara Boxer, you had a lovely time talking with her recently, said this about Becerra. Quote, he really understands Obamacare from the ground up. And when he saw it being wrecked, he went to court to stop it. He knows these laws, whether they protect insurers or consumers inside and out. 
And the thing to note here, Jessica, HHS is an enormous agency. It's a very, very important gig for Becerra. And if he does get confirmed, he'd be in charge of a wide-ranging government agency at a very crucial time, because that's one of the agencies that will help coordinate the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine, which leads us to another story about vaccines that has to do with legal and political news. The New York Times recently published a report alleging that the Trump administration was offered the opportunity to purchase far more doses of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, but it declined doing so. Now, this could mean significant delays in the distribution of that vaccine. The White House pushed back on the Times, but then Trump just today signed an executive order with the intent to prioritize the vaccine to Americans. Now, how does does this executive order change anything? Oh, it probably doesn't show. So I think the executive order is largely symbolic. What President Trump is trying to say is back to his message of America first, Americans first. He's trying to essentially say that when the vaccines are shipped, that they need to be shipped to Americans in order of priority and then to other people. He's mentioned trying to use a post-World War II law, the Defense Productions Act, to essentially try and force these pharmaceutical companies to say that there is a national security reason that you need to provide these vaccines to Americans first. I don't think that that's going to fly. And in fact, the executive order really is pretty broad, pretty vague. It's not entirely clear where the Trump administration thinks that they're going to have this legal authority. And I really think this is much more about what you said in the beginning, which is that The Trump administration was offered the opportunity, like everybody else, to buy uh, the Pfizer vaccines. And other countries said, yes, we will. And America said, no, we won't. As a result, we are facing a backlog. Once again, America is in a terrible place when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic, and it was largely avoidable. If you look at the population of the U.S., And then you look at the number of deaths in the U.S., of course, it's totally disproportionate. No one could have prevented the pandemic, but we certainly did not need to be in this position. And you asked me about the legal implications of the executive order. I think very small. This is really just part of a public relations campaign. And again, this is another avoidable nightmare for Americans when it comes to the COVID response. Yeah, Jessica, I agree with you. The sad truth of the matter is that it didn't have to be this way. I also don't blame Donald Trump. Nobody could have prevented the pandemic from showing up when and how it did, but it didn't have to be managed this way. And it makes me sad. We're losing people every single day. And I just hope that the incoming administration can find a better way to administrate all these sorts of things. So on that sad note, happy Safe Harbor Day, everybody. At least the election is proceeding smoothly. That was such a sad ending to this episode of Asking Judgment that I'm glad that you were the one to do it. I'm going to go leave the room, look at my Safe Harbor Day banners, be thankful that we were able to record this episode together. We are not going to have that many more post-election litigation episodes, everybody, not to worry. And we have a bunch of really exciting episodes coming up. I spoke to another member of Congress today. We have another member of Congress coming up in a few weeks. One of the leading epidemiologists, SCOTUS observer. And I also really want to thank everybody who 
leaves a review, everybody who sends me an email, I read all of them. Joe and I talk about them. We're very, very grateful for you for doing that. And I think we're going to do an episode where it's just all your questions and we try and tackle them. So until next time, Mr. Armstrong, thank you for passing judgment on the second biggest holiday in December. Happy Safe Harbor Day, Jessica. 